Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, thank you for joining me. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And today, we are going to be talking about a painful topic, and that is the topic of divorce. And unfortunately, being a Christian doesn't necessarily inoculate you from divorce. And no matter how hard Christians try to stay married, and although it's extremely important to us, many times we are either divorced or have to be the one to do it. So in spite of your religious convictions, you may find that you have experienced a divorce. Your spouse either divorced you or you found it necessary to initiate the divorce. So anyone who has experienced divorce knows the anguish it involves. I often tell my clients, if the marriage doesn't kill you, the divorce might. It's extremely painful. And thankfully, we have a God who knows this pain and has experienced divorce as well, as he had to divorce Israel in the Old Testament because of her idolatry and harlotry. So he knows the pain involved. Now, how do we cope with the pain of divorce? Because anyone that has experienced a a divorce will tell you they had no idea how painful it was going to be. And it hurts more than a death oftentimes because it's a choice. So it's either a choice for you to have initiated it or maybe you weren't given a choice and it just, and it, it happened to you. And the person that you divorced or that divorced you is still alive. So it, it feels like many times what people call a living death. So it's important as we learn to cope with divorce that, number one, we're very gentle with ourselves. We're gentle with each other. And it's very, very important for you that have not experienced a divorce and know someone that is or has gone through a divorce that you be very careful to not become legalistic and assume that they somehow are, are just some kind of a sinner and and see them as a failure or see them as someone that um, has made a gross uh, error and fall into any type of condemnation of them because it's an it's a extremely complicated process when people are finding themselves needing, needing to divorce. So one of the first things that we want to look at when we are coping with the pain of divorce is that you want to be able to understand your emotions. And these aren't easily sorted out because you're going to feel an array of emotions and some that are very, very uncomfortable that you may feel very guilty about feeling. And so one of the feelings, you may be feeling extreme abandonment. There's extreme grief, maybe indignation, rejection, fear, guilt, shame, feeling like you're somehow a terrible sinner, you're a terrible failure. And I know that you can name more. And we get them in waves. It comes in a combination. And it's one of the things that is most difficult about divorce is sorting through all of those feelings, reconciling yourself to the reality of a divorce, what that means after a divorce, 
how you tell other people, how you tell children, how you tell your family, how you face your church, how you tell people at work. It's very, very complicated and very difficult. And so one of the things you want to make sure is that as you are working on understanding your own feelings, that you accept the feelings, that you don't judge your own feelings. One of the worst things that we can do when we are trying to manage our own emotions is that we judge ourselves and judge our feelings. And, and many times you have heard me say on these shows that feelings are neither right or wrong. They just are. So they're not, they're not good or bad. They can be positive or negative, but they are not good or bad. They just simply are. The, the, our feelings naturally occur. We don't choose our feelings. We choose how maybe how long to have the feeling. We might choose the level of intensity of that feeling, but we don't choose the initial feeling. That feeling just occurs. The one thing that we can control is the way that we think, but we can't necessarily control what feelings occur. So it's very important that as you are coping with all these very uncomfortable, painful, yucky feelings, that you don't judge them and you don't judge yourself and and you set boundaries with other people if they are judgmental towards you and say, well, you shouldn't feel that way or, you know, you should be feeling this way or you should be thanking God or or you should be confessing or repenting. And, And so it's very important to be able to support yourself in this process and accepting your own feelings. And so one of the ways that you can begin to understand your emotions, you can begin to figure out what it is you really are feeling and sort it out, is that you write down these different feelings. I often uh, encourage people to do journaling, to know what it is that I'm really feeling, where those feelings are emanating from, maybe how profound, how big they are. And I know journaling is not a very fun thing. I, I know a very few amount of people that enjoy journaling, but journaling is probably one of the healthiest, most supportive things you can do for yourself when you are going through a process of grief and loss. And so it's very important that we work on understanding emotions and accepting them. The second thing that we're going to need to do while we are working through this painful, painful situation is that we understand what rejection and abandonment means. And if you are the person that has that initiated divorce, you may still feel some rejection and abandonment because it may be the reason that you are divorcing. Maybe that in your, in your marriage there was neglect, there was abuse, um, there might have been infidelity, which caused you to have to initiate that divorce, which has its own levels of, of abandonment and rejection that you may have been feeling for years. If you're the person that did not want the divorce and your spouse is the one that initiated it, that's going to bring about a tremendous amount of rejection and abandonment. Anyone that goes through a divorce is going to end up feeling like a failure because truly, yes, the marriage failed. So it's important that we don't add to our rejection and abandonment the feelings of worthlessness, that single people are still worthwhile. And there's this tendency in our Christian community to somewhat idolize marriage and and act as if marriage is the end goal and that that's what everybody should be working for and the healthy people and the people that got it together are the ones that actually get to get married. And the single people have something wrong with them and that's why they're not married. When in reality, I mean, I tell single people this all the time. And well, I myself was single for a very long time. And in my practice, I say, the married people have problems too. That's, why, that's part of what marriage does is brings out many of the things that we might not have had to work on if we weren't in a marriage. And so it's imperative that you don't 
cause that feeling that somehow now I've lost my worth and value because I'm divorced or because someone divorced me or because I needed to divorce someone. Because we see in 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, Paul talks at length about marriage and why to marry, why not to marry, that actually being single is better, that you, your work for God is, is more, um, you have more time, you have more availability, you have more energy than when you're married. Because when you're married, you need to put that time and energy into that primary relationship. I know that after I was married, the things that, that I, my schedule changed radically because I needed to make my marriage and wanted to make my marriage a priority. But prior to that, when I was single, I had all kinds of freedom and all kinds of time that I could spend doing what I wanted to do. And much of that was I was doing much of the work for the Lord, and I enjoyed it tremendously. And so you have to understand that when we're looking at divorce and we're working at singleness, we don't want to look at being single as that in and of itself is a failure. We can say that the, that the relationship failed, but it doesn't make you as a person a failure. So you want to really work on those feelings of rejection and abandonment and know that that's a natural part of the process, but you're going to have to really combat those feelings and be very careful about how you think and not let that fall into um, that feeling of worthlessness. And if that would be the case, if you're feeling that that's happening, that's a really good indicator that you may want to get some professional help because you may have been deeply, deeply wounded in the marriage and then in the divorce, depending on how uh, acrimonious the divorce ended up being. So when I'm talking to people about actually divorcing, I many times will say, say to them, don't divorce out of anger. It, it, it's very important that you work through all those feelings as best as you can so that when you actually go through the divorce, all you're doing is dissolving a contractual agreement. You're not trying to work out the marriage and all the problems in the marriage through the, through the divorce. These divorces, when you do it that way, are extremely wounding and painful and stressful and very, very costly. So we're working on understanding our emotions. We're dealing with rejection and abandonment that may have brought up some childhood issues as well. And so what we find many times is that in our marriage, we are working out issues that we may not have resolved from our childhood. So it's imperative that as you are working on that rejection and abandonment, that you understand self-worth, that you understand the need to not abandon or reject yourself. We don't want anyone to fall into self-hatred. So the third thing that we're going to have to really cope with when it comes to the pain of divorce is, the, is grief and denial, this whole grief and loss process. And there's going to be a tendency for us to want to be in denial and to say, this really can't be happening. I know it's going to get better. I know we're going to work it out because we don't want to experience the grief and the reality of what's coming or what we are actually going through. And so denial is, is a wonderful thing. Uh, God lets us be in denial many times because sometimes the pain would be too great. He's very good about telling us the truth in a timely manner when he actually knows it's going to set us free. But when we're in denial of a divorce, that's going to cause that much more pain. And it's going to cause you to not be able to make the appropriate decisions and use good critical thinking if you are actively denying that the divorce is occurring and that the marriage is dissolving. So it's important that you get the support that you need so that you don't go crawl in a hole or isolate or um, resist the process that is occurring. 
So then that's going to lead us into the grief and loss process. And we're going to talk more about that in the next, in the next segment, this whole idea of grief and loss and, and how I do that, how I maneuver through the grief and loss process when it comes to divorce. So again, we're working on understanding our emotions, all those many emotions that we're feeling. We're going to write them down. We're going to journal them. We're going to talk to a safe person about them. We're not going to reject and abandon ourselves. We're not going to see ourselves as worthless because we're single or going to be single. We're going to be very careful about not denying the actuality. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me again in the next segment as we work on this coping with the pain of divorce. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and today we are talking about coping with the pain of divorce. And before we start this next segment, I want to remind you to please visit me at my website, which is CynthiaHyatt.com, and that is C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. And you can look me up on Facebook as well. It's Cynthia Hyatt, Inc., which is Incorporated I-N-C., so today, this whole issue of divorce and the pain that comes with that, and it's sometimes uh, a different type of pain also for Christians because it, it is part of our faith and how important marriage is. And so we can experience divorce and the pain of that and the shame that may come with it differently than the secular world does. So in the first segment, we were talking about the need to understand our emotions, and those would be abandonment, grief, indignation, rejection, fear, guilt, shame, feeling like a terrible sinner, all these different things. And then really focusing on this rejection and abandonment issue because there's a tendency to feel worthless or to think that you might be worthless if you're single. And and what you'll find is that it may take up to six months to two years to really recover from the feelings of rejection and abandonment. But truly, time is your ally. And every day that you live as a single person, you will become more comfortable with the idea of being single. And each success you have as a single person will be an investment in your own self-worth. So, you know, there's no such thing as this relief from the feelings of rejection and abandonment. And to look for it is unrealistic. So you must actively throw yourself into the job of being single, and you must permit time to bring healing. But above all, you must be willing to be a healed person rather than an ever-grieving divorced person. See, just as some people never recover from physical handicaps because they refuse to accept them, and some people never recover after divorce because they refuse to accept singleness. So beware of that temptation. So most frequently, a great payoff, it's a positive benefit when you learn to be single and learn to do it well. Because what you will find is you will be a much better partner when you know how to be a single person. Many of the the reasons that relationships will fail is because of some dependency or codependency issues. And so as we work on that whole idea of rejection and abandonment, that's going to help us stay out of denial. And this grief and loss process that we need to go through, and we've talked about this on, on different shows, is we first are in that state of shock, complete shock that it's happening. 
And you can be in shock that it's happening to you, or you can be in shock that you have to initiate that divorce. And after we get out of shock, we go into denial. We think, this really can't be happening. It's not possible. Do I really have to go through this? There's got to be a way to avoid this. There's got to be a way to fix this. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she's acting this way. I can't believe they made that decision. We have children. We have a community. We have friends. We have family. And so we want to do that denial. And as we are getting out of denial and beginning to truly accept it as we go through this process, then we're going to fall into some bargaining. And that stage is always that part of us, and Americans are really good at it, is that we kind of do the shoulda, coulda, woulda, if only then. And we keep rehashing what we should have done or could have done or if I would have done this, if they would have done that, then it wouldn't have to be this way. Or maybe we could do this. Or maybe there's one more shot. We'll try this therapist. Or maybe if I read this book. Or we'll go to, we'll go to this church and we'll go see this pastor. They'll pray for us. And there's this tendency to really not want that marriage to die. Even if you're the one initiating it, it still is extremely painful to have to have a relationship die that you've put time and effort into. And after we deal with bargaining, we might go into some intense anger, fury, actually. People can get furious at the, the idea that they are either being divorced or that they have to divorce because nobody gets married thinking they're going to divorce or hoping they're going to divorce. And so the idea is so aberrant to, to, to us when we are having to face it that many times we can be furious at the reasons that we are having to divorce at the injustice of it all, the indignation of what's been done to us. And so it's really important that when we're in that anger stage, that we know how to appropriately deal with our anger, that we know what to do with our anger, because it's so easy to hate that other person or to hate whoever else was involved maybe with the other person or to hate the people that are supporting your soon-to-be ex-spouse or to hate the people that are not supporting you, or that are judging or condemning or not understanding, or the, the court system, or the lawyers, that whoever it is. And it's, so it's very, very important that when we're going through that process and we feel that intense anger and hatred, that we work through those feelings. And, and the more debilitating they are, the more important it is for you to maybe see some professional to get some help with that, because anger is a very toxic feeling, but it is many times a necessary one. Because when we do anger appropriately, it is energizing, and it helps us not to be a victim. Anytime I'm working with a client that has had any type of abuse in their life, one of the things I'm wanting them to actualize or to, to actually feel is anger. Because when we can feel angry appropriately over what has been done to us, then we are, are then no longer a victim. And so we are then making choices. We are the ones that are initiating the changes in our life that need to happen. It causes us to, to have self-worth. It causes us to do good self-care, that we use that anger as a way to energize us into doing the things we need to do, whether that be going through the garage, cleaning out the closet, making the phone calls you need to make, going to the bank and changing those accounts, um, writing angry letters, not to send, but I oftentimes have clients just write angry letters so that they can get it out. They can say exactly what it is that they're feeling, uninhibited, unfiltered, but we don't send them to the person. But they're very, very helpful to write angry letters. 
many times as we go through anger, we get tired and we end up being doing the sadness and the mourning phase. And sadness is very important. And many times people are more willing to feel sad than they are angry and they get stuck in sadness and mourning and fall into some depression or they don't want to feel those sad feelings that morning. And so they stay angry, which can also create depression because sometimes we turn that anger on ourselves, and we blame ourselves. And instead of being angry at the situation or, or the, the behaviors, we get angry at us and we think we're the ones, we're the failure. We're the ones that messed it all up. And we do the shoulda, coulda, woulda, if only then with ourselves. So it's important that you appropriately do anger, that you appropriately do sadness and mourning And that leads us to the acceptance and forgiveness part, which is where we want to land. Now, depending on how long your divorce is, depending on how much abuse is in it, depending on how long the marriage is, depending on whatever those circumstances are, it may take you a very long time to come to true acceptance with forgiveness. And so many times we find ourselves cycling through that grief and loss process where we kind of get to a place of acceptance and then we start it all over again and we're mad again and something comes up and we're, or we're sad again and we have to go through another holiday or we see the effect it has on our children or we have to leave our church. And so it's very important that you understand that the grief and loss process is a minimum of one year. You have to go through all the different holidays, all the different significant days before you can truly come to acceptance and forgiveness. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next hour as we continue to talk about coping with the pain of divorce. Welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And today we are talking about coping with the pain of divorce. And before we start, I want to remind you again to visit me on my Facebook page at CynthiaHyatt.com. And I'm sorry, that's my website, CynthiaHyatt.com. And on Facebook, at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. And Inc. is INC for Incorporated. So we've been talking about this uh, grief and loss process and how imperative it is that we go through that process And many times um, I have to remind people as they're going through the process of divorce that they can't do the grief and loss process until actually the divorce is over because then we really start the grief and loss process regarding the divorce. It doesn't mean that we don't go through many of those stages while the marriage is is ending and while it is dissolving. But there's there's a lot of power in actually when that divorce is final and that process begins. And so the more work you do during the dissolution of the marriage, the more effective the grief and loss process is after you've actually ended it, when it is truly final. And so this last one we were talking about in the grief and loss process is acceptance and forgiveness. And there is a, there is a, a lot about this that is so important to do, but it's very important that you don't judge yourself, you don't condemn yourself because you can't forgive right now. It may take you a couple years to fully forgive that person. And it may take you a while to forgive yourself if you are the one that, that was the impetus of the marriage failing, if some of the behaviors that you did caused the marriage to fail. It may take you time to truly forgive yourself. What we have to understand, though, is God 
truly forgives us. He really understands humans, and he doesn't rank divorce as the greatest of all sins. What he ranks as the greatest of all sins, if he's going to rank the sins, is pride. And so part of the process of healing is getting over our pride because it's, it's, it's humiliating. It can feel humiliating to have to go through a divorce, to have to publicly begin to talk about doing that. And so we don't want to judge the inability to forgive immediately. That's not even realistic. And so what I say to people about this whole forgiveness process is what I figured out with God when I had to forgive really big offenses that have occurred in my life, when someone has truly sinned greatly against me, is I say to God, I ask for the gift of forgiveness because I can't do it. There have been times when, when I've been hurt so deeply by a person that I said to God, no, I don't want to forgive him. I can't even conceive of forgiving. I don't want to. There's nothing in me that desires to except that I am a Christian and I know that that's right and I know it's healthy and I know it's the thing I need to do. So God, I need the gift of forgiveness. I need you to be working in my heart to change my heart. And I need to keep asking God for that daily because it truly is a gift. Because if you've ever hated somebody, if you've ever walked around with huge offense or resentment towards somebody because of what has been done to you. You know the freedom that comes when you finally are able to release it and be free. So it is a gift, and we want to be asking God for that gift. Because if we don't, what, la- what a lack of forgiveness does is usually ends up in a pity party, and we end up falling into self-pity and all that has been done to us, and then we stay victimized. Now, if we stay victimized and live in self-pity, we're going to also become more cynical, skeptical, bitter, jaded, and these are going to affect any future relationship that we might possibly have or want to have. So this next one that we have to deal with, and we've been talking about this, is this feeling of failure. Nobody likes to fail. I don't like failing. But the only the thing that we have to understand about being human is that we have failings, and we are going to fail. And the only way the humans really learn is by mistakes, unfortunately. And the best thing that I always am telling clients, if there's anything good in someone, pain will find it out. So these are necessary things that we have to go through in our life and we, it, that, that we're going to have failures. Nobody wants divorce to be one of their failures. But if it is, we need to learn how to deal with that. And if it is my failure, if the, the, the divorce is a majority of my failure because of I have character flaws I didn't work on. I was unfaithful. I was neglectful of the relationship. I was verbally, emotionally, physically, sexually abusive in the relationship. Whatever that may be, I'm going to need to forgive myself for failing to be the spouse I was supposed to be. If it was done to me, if my spouse was abusive toward me, and that's how that failed, I still have to deal with the fact that no matter how well I worked on the marriage, no matter how much I did, no matter how much I tried, the marriage still failed. And I will have to deal with that. So when we're dealing with this, we are being, we are going to resist judgment. We are not going to judge ourselves because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And we know that intellectually, emotionally, we need to not judge ourselves or anyone else who is going through divorce. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me for the last part as we finish this message on coping with the pain of divorce.
Well, welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And today we are talking about coping with the pain of divorce. And in the last part of this, this um, show, we were talking about this idea of feelings of failure and dealing with the fact that the marriage failed and that we are not to judge ourselves, that we are to forgive ourselves, that we don't want to fall into self-pity. We want to really be working on managing that grief and loss process and going through those stages of grief and loss. And so this next thing that we have to work on in terms of not judging ourselves is that we, we have to deal with guilt. And some may be false guilt and some may be real guilt. Like I was saying, if you, if you were the one that, that was uh, egregious, if you're the one that was the offender in the marriage and, and caused the majority of the failure of the marriage, if you were the one that was um, treated poorly, now uh, hear me when I say we all know that it takes two people, um, but it all, we also have to take responsibility for the fact that, you know, it may, I may have been in an abusive marriage, and I have to accept responsibility for that and heal from that and recognize that that is what happened and, and learning what is my part in that in terms of was I not assertive? Did I struggle with codependency? Was I in denial, pretending like it was just going to go away? Did I not confront things? And so if I was the offender, then I need to take responsibility for what was I, what am I doing? What is going on with me that I think it's okay to treat someone in that manner? That I think it's okay to act in those ways? That I'm not being responsible for myself? That I'm not being the spouse that I'm supposed to be? And that we work on that guilt because we have to remember that there is guilt for a reason. And guilt helps us to know that we've done something wrong so that we can change our behavior, that we can repent. When we're struggling with false guilt, that's a different story. False guilt is that tendency to say, uh, to take more responsibility than what is yours, to, to feel responsible for the whole, to, the whole entire thing, to feel responsible because you're now, you think you're a worthless person, you're, you're, you're guilty of of not being pretty enough, you're guilty enough of not, you're guilty of not making enough money, you're guilty of not being funny, you're guilty of not being intelligent, whatever it is that you are trying to explain why the marriage failed and taking responsibility for things that are not yours in an attempt to not have to accept that it failed. Because you have to remember, if we take responsibility because we've been victimized, one of the reasons that little kids think it's their fault when they have been victimized is because it gives them a false sense of control. If it's my fault, then maybe I can change it. So I have to possibly work with a professional to try to kind of untangle all of that. What is my part? What do I need to give them, give back to them that is their responsibility? And you have to remember that when we have been abused, many times that can bring about feelings of shame. If I, if I let that guilt turn into shame and don't forgive myself, then what we find with shame is, instead of I did a bad thing, I'm now a bad person. And we don't, want it, we don't want to fall into that, that I am just a bad person. Because when we feel excessive amounts of shame in that way, now I'm not talking about healthy shame. Like healthy shame tells me not to walk out of my house without any clothes on. We, that's healthy shame. But toxic shame turns what has happened to me into my fault that I am now the bad person. Or I'm wearing all the shame in the relationship. So it's imperative that you untangle that guilt, whether it be true guilt, false guilt, toxic shame, 
And when, when we know we're having toxic shame, there's a lot of shoulds. And so we can feel shame because we're divorced. And we want to make sure that we're not falling into shame-based thinking and feeling over a divorce. That the divorce, whether it's right or wrong, what mistake it was, what part you had in it, is still forgivable. And we need to be working on taking responsibility for ourselves and understanding that we learn by mistakes. And as we're dealing with that false guilt and shame and all that, a lot of times what that's covering up is this, this feeling of loneliness. And many times loneliness can feel like guilt and shame. And so we want to be able to deal with loneliness because only when you've learned to enjoy your own companionship can you really begin to be a good companion. See, self-care and depending on, on, on God, we have to be able to depend on ourselves and depend on God as an adult because we don't want to marry an adult child. And many times what we find in the, in the demise of a marriage, the collapse of a marriage, is that we may have gone into it more, more as a child. And even though we're in an, an adult body and we have the intelligence of an adult and we hopefully have some of the common sense and we have the ability to take responsibility for life in many ways as an adult, emotionally we may be a child in that relationship. And so it's important to understand that loneliness is a part of life. And, and we are all alone, and we all need to learn to deal with loneliness. And the cure for loneliness must begin with you learning to enjoy your own company. And if you haven't been alone, it can be very frightening. If you grew up with a family, and then you lived with, you lived with roommates maybe, and then you immediately got married, and you lived with husband or wife, then you had children, it may be very frightening to be alone. And that's imperative to learn how to manage because the better that you manage being alone, the better companion you're going to be because togetherness, understanding togetherness, the vitality of a relationship depends not only on what you experience together, but what you bring to the relationship because of your experience being alone. See, if you can manage being alone and do that responsibly and learn to, to enjoy your own companionship, that causes you to be a very safe person in a relationship because what what you're bringing to the relationship is companionship. You're not bringing to the relationship a bunch of needs that you want met by that person. You are better able to actually focus on that person and their needs and wanting to make their life better because you're not coming into the relationship wounded, damaged, or childlike. So it's imperative that you learn to deal with loneliness and that you understand what being together is. And many times when I'm working with clients, I will say to them, true adult intimacy is not about being the same. See, being the same is a wonderful feeling. We, you know, when you meet somebody like, oh my gosh, we're so much the same. We're just the same. He thinks like me. I think like her. You know, these types of things. We like sameness, but you have to understand that's a very immature form of intimacy. That's how little kids are. Little kids want to talk like their parents and act like their parents and dress like their parents. And then they move into high school and they want to do that with their peers. And, and when we're moving into young adulthood and then becoming adults, what we learn is that true adult intimacy is about two very different people knowing each other. And so it's about being known and knowing someone. It's not about being the same. So it's imperative that in that time that you are healing from the divorce that you learn you. And you get to know who you are. Maybe you reclaim who you used to be before the marriage got so bad and you had to go through the divorce. 
Maybe you never had a chance to know who you are and what you liked. Maybe you spent your whole life doing it for other people, and now you're alone and don't know what to do with yourself. So this is a very important time to learn who you are. And this is a time that you make friends. Maybe you make new friends. Maybe you reconnect with friends that you lost contact with. Maybe you get to be your own best friend, which is very, very important that you befriend yourself. And, and we've done some shows on, on self-care and loving self and, and taking care of yourself and how imperative that is in an adult relationship that you are the adult caregiver for you and that that's what you're bringing to a relationship versus a child that wants to be taken care of. So part of this is making friends and making friends with yourself. And that, that is an important thing because many times we don't realize maybe how much we don't know ourselves or how much maybe we don't like ourselves. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you don't know yourself, this is a good time to learn who you are. And one of the best ways to do that is you ask God because God is closer to you than you are to yourself. And God knows everything about you, every part of you. And God lives in you and God made you. So he's the best source to ask, who am I? Who am I? God, where do I go from here? What do you have for me? My life isn't over because I divorced. A new part of my life, a new life is now beginning. And God knew this was coming. He knew it was going to happen. And he knows what he's going to do about it. So it's imperative that we ask God, what's the plan now? Where would you be taking me now? And who am I? And what do you have for me? So this is very important as we are working on self-care. Another part we talked about forgiveness. And a lot of the forgiveness we talked about was in that grief and loss process. But this portion of forgiveness I'm going to talk to you about may sound strange to you, but one of it is that we need to forgive ourselves because we don't like it when we let ourselves down. So we need to forgive ourselves because we might not have even handled the divorce well. We might have gotten really ugly. So we need to forgive ourselves for that. Then we need to get forgive the other people involved, whoever that was. Maybe your church didn't support you. Maybe friends that you thought were going to be your friends forever have sided with your spouse. Maybe they've abandoned you. And what you'll find many times when you go through divorce is that it's very upsetting to the other people that are married because what starts to happen is they start to, even if it's not conscious, subconsciously think, well, if it could happen to them, it could happen to me. And many times in those marriages that may not be as stable as they look, the person that knows they are not being the spouse they need to be gets very scared because they think, "Uh uh-oh, maybe this is going to give my spouse courage to divorce me. So they may distance themselves from you. And it can feel like, what am I? I'm like a pariah. What? I'm a leper now because I'm divorced or divorcing. And so you're going to have to forgive the way that people respond to you divorcing or being divorced. And it could be members of your family. Maybe you thought your family would support you and they're not. You may have to forgive your spouse's family. Maybe, maybe you were very close to them and now you're not. You may have to forgive that people have gossiped about you. You may have to forgive the way your kids might be handling your divorce. You may have thought they would handle it differently, and, may, and, and now they're not. And so it's going to be very important to forgive yourself, forgive others, and then you may have to forgive God. And I know that sounds very strange, but I want you to hear me out on this. It's always painful when you get your feelings hurt by God. And really, we, we don't get our feelings hurt by God. We hurt ourselves on God is what we do because we decide who God is and what he should do and how he should do it, and then he didn't do it that way. And it hurts. 
Because all of a sudden we think, that's I, God isn't who I thought God was, and I have to get to know God again. So maybe you, you're angry with God because he didn't protect you, because he didn't fix the marriage, because he didn't reveal something to you before you got married, and now you're finding it out. So it sounds strange to forgive God, but what you want to think about is, it's not that God did anything wrong because God doesn't do anything wrong. But if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody and they hurt your feelings and you find out what happened and you go, okay, yeah, okay, I get it. They really didn't do anything wrong to me, but it hurt my feelings anyways. They let me down. They disappointed me. They said no to me. And so it's important as we work through this whole process of divorce and being divorced is forgiveness. And you give yourself a minimum of a year to heal. So that when you're thinking about going into a new relationship, that you are, are having a good amount of healing. Because you're not going to necessarily heal in one, in one year. And it doesn't mean that you can't be in a relationship if you're in the healing process. But you want to be through the majority of that healing process. So that ways to know if you're ready for a new relationship. You don't hate your ex anymore. You don't obsess about what they're doing in their life. You don't feel shame and unworthiness about yourself. You're able to be alone with yourself. You no longer think that being with someone is the end goal. You find that you don't generalize, like all men are this way, or women always do that. So you're not blaming any longer. So it's important as we work through this, that we do the grief and loss process, that we understand what we're feeling, we understand those emotions, that we learn to be alone with ourselves. we learn to enjoy our own companionship, we learn to deal with feelings of failure, we, we w- learn to deal with all that anger and sadness that we have. We go through the forgiveness process, and we make friends with ourselves. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today, and please visit me at CynthiaHyatt.com. Have a great week, and God bless you. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at FaithTalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.